1: Hey everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian From So glad that you are with us today. Brian, mm-hmm. your kids and my kids, we've got some solid Gen ears.
2: Oh, yes, we they do. They are solid. Okay.
1: Now, your kids are not in the video game they online world
2: as much as mine Jackson my- will, um, he is a, like, he'll play Madden. But then just the other night, we laughed hard because him and his football buddies, like got home and all played Fortnite together. And I was like, when is the last time you played? But now they're like.
1: They're back. It's because, you know why. I know this because of my kid. Or they yeah. updated but they went backwards. So they updated and went OG Fortnite. Uh,
2: so, maybe that's the answer. Because these guys are like the, the football players. Yeah. And Jackson's never, I've never yeah. heard him say he's playing Fortnite. And yeah. all of yeah. a sudden he's like. And he was like, it was almost like it was funny, but then like, yeah, we're going to go play Fortnite. I was like, really?
1: Yeah, it's because it was. To which I
2: began doing the Fortnite dance in the living room and (laughs) they were appalled. It was
1: a brilliant move on Fortnite's part because they, for kids who were into it a few years ago, but kind of lost interest, like Mm. even my 17 year old, they all heard, but it's going to be OG again. They're going back. And the whole storyline was like, they went through a time warp, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So my son got online with a bunch of his buddies who hadn't played Fortnite in a long time and they're playing. Um, Okay, so my kids are definitely online. Your kids are
2: more gamers than mine They're more gamers. In fact,
1: Kevin and I were talking about this the other day. Like, half the time they just watch people play video games. So that's a huge deal.
2: Like, I didn't know this. My kids have never, uh, never done this. But, like, some of the most watched stuff, Mm -hmm. right, on YouTube and stuff is kids watching other people play video games. Yes, that is so, be- like, obviously video games are so much better right. now than they ever were when we were little, but, right. like, the concept of sitting in front of my TV and watching somebody in Kansas play Super Mario Brothers right. is,
1: like... Isn't it weird? And they're, like, st- so it's, like, one removed. Like, they're not even playing it. They're right? watching- It's so weird. Yes. That's all my kids watch. It's so weird. Okay, here's why I'm bringing this up. Christianity Today told this story. Uh, there's a guy named Jake Boston, Gen Z, uh, Episcopalian general Zer. Oh. And uh <laughs> on Reformation Day, okay. Okay, he did something really interesting. He made a list tailored to seven American mainline denominations, okay. Critiquing their drift from orthodoxy into oh. theological liberalism, okay. Challenging them to reaffirm the resurrection, the mm-hmm. divinity of Jesus, mm-hmm. the authority of the Bible and much more. And he was not alone. This was a uh, a group of a thousand Gen Z mainliners committed to their denominations, part of a grassroots group called Operation Reconquista, trying to basically do a new Reformation Day. They mailed, emailed, or physically posted their own 95 theses to every mainline church in the United States that apparently they're connected to. Interesting. Isn't that so interesting? So
2: it's a move in inside... Gen Z, yes. For we often think that Gen Zers are trying to move to be more progressive and more liberal, right? And at least this sect of it is saying, no, no, we want to reclaim something that we think the pendulum has swung too far.
1: Yeah, so they're saying, let's go back. back. It's so fascinating. Okay, so they um, apparently are really interested interested in institutional renewal. They have a video out that they've created about their Reformation Day activism. They're calling all young theologically conservative Christians to reform, revive and reform their denominations that their Christian forebears sweat and bled to build. Apparently, they like map theologically conservative mainline congregations online. A lot of this is obviously happening online. And uh They've invited older mainline pastors to join them to kind of mentor them and guide them and make sure they have good, you know, guardrails So in why place. would you
2: bring on older mainline? I was wondering that, you, that too. I, but I guess it's not, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe they're saying we want to find older mainlines who we respect. Yeah, I who think we it's think like are doing theologically
1: it right. conservative mainliners to kind of help guide us. But he, this is so interesting is that... Um, Uh, that's I think the conversation, Brian, is one that most people assume the next generation is going way more liberal theologically, Mm -hmm. like even the Christians may way more uh, liberal theologically. But I think there's also something fascinating to me about like this guy makes TikTok videos all the time. He makes these videos. Now, I don't think my kids watch his videos, but my kids talk about this Mm -hmm. type of video a lot. They're lo-fi explainer videos. My kids use this phrase a lot. They have quote derpy graphics, so they're I don't like know what that in, means they're like intentionally not high quality, okay. intentionally kind of like dumb and dorky, but they get millions of views.
2: So a little different. I was seeing something the other day about Christian TikTok Gen Z, where it's like this is the front line of evangelism and apologetics now, and like. Any church, and I, I have not even, I don't even know how to access these things. Yeah. Like this is where I start to feel really old. Really old, but right? But the point was, hey, pastor and churches, you better start to figure these things out if you want to kind of reach the next generation. This is fascinating, and I, I guess it's, it's not all that surprising. Well, it is surprising, but once you start to dig deeper, especially the mainline denominations have gone so far one direction, yeah, yeah. that the pendulum. Sh- uh, shift back, I guess, probably shouldn't surprise us, even though it does.
1: I know. I, I agree with you. I think I didn't think the pendulum would shift back um, this quickly. Like, I thought it might even be the next generation post-Gen Z. What, what are they? Gen I or something? I don't, like, know. I don't know what they are yet. But um, it is interesting to me. Now, there's some critiques, of course, like, is this militaristic? Mm-hmm. Is this uh, whatever, some weird vibe instead of actually, like, deep theology or liturgy or whatever. why Some questions, why not break away from the denominations that they're in if they don't think that they're theologically sound? But these people are committed to, like, being new Martin Luther's. Like, that's kind of—they want to be known as reformers in the church. And I
2: think we want to—we've said it with our own churches and with other things. Like, we we long for a time where the first move is not— Hey, leave it. Yeah. Hey, leave it. So why would we say that? Like, a lot of times I think we evangelicals can look at mainline churches and be like, get out of there, get out of there. Mm-hmm. No, no, we'd all be better off if people like this stayed in there. I know. And helped reform it, and we could see it be more evangelical. Right. Right? Right.
1: Yeah, I think the I think the question, too, is, is you know, as church leaders, is this something that you— encourage you think in the next generation, like you're saying, staying and seeing the change. Are you getting behind this type of energy? This like new generation of reformer energy. Are you just like, uh, who knows? This is what the spirit of God is doing in this like zoomer generation. Like how do you, as a, as a church leader at our age, who's a little disconnected from some of this stuff, I think, how do you encourage, how do you challenge? How do you build up this type of energy?
2: Yeah. I think part of this is, actually viewing i'm using air quotes here young people as the church the church not the future yeah, church, yeah, not the, and it's that and it's going you know don't be the old guy on the lawn who's like what's this TikTok?" or what's this whatever like okay let's sit let's sit down with some young 20s some 18 19 mm-hmm. year olds who go hey tell me what's working tell me what's yeah. going on in your world and start to view them as the church. And then I I think then you can start to get creative with these things.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to me, too, just even as a parent, to think about, um, it, like, if my own kids were to come across these, quote, derpy videos, having mm-hmm. theology explained to them because they're on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, like, I think I would be excited about that. I think there is some reality, to whether we we're still going to fight for like incarnational relational ministry. Right. There's some reality to the fact that, like life is happening online. Our kids are watching other people play video games. So there's like that one step removed, like I talk about. And so this is sort of the mm-hmm. new future of where apologetics, evangelism, reform in the church is gonna take place. I think it'll be interesting for us as older Jen to watch and see how Gen Z does this that's and right. how they improve and what bridges they make. And anyway, really, really, I, I was very fascinated Nothing by that Nothing makes article. me
2: feel older than when we talk about TikTok and Snapchat. <laughs> Nothing and gaming and it, gaming world.
1: It is so weird how you like think you're kind of this young in touch no, person and then you're like, the wait, ones... no, I'm not. I'm old. It's it's fine. I'm
2: old. These are the ones where I'm like, no, <laughs> I have no even concept of this whole other world. Totally, that's out there.
1: Totally. Hey, coming up next, we're going to do something a little bit fun just to make us laugh as we end the show show, you've heard a lot of myths about the presidents, George Washington Mm. and the, was it the apple tree or the cherry tree? I think it was the cherry tree. The cherry tree. One of those trees. We're going to talk about some of those. We're going to debunk those myths when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Thrilled that you are with us today. It's the end of the show, and so we what thought a we'd do some. Day. Isn't it a
2: gorgeous good Monday. night? I know it's dark now, but it's been beautiful it's all been day. It's been
1: sunny all day, and I saw something about how there's going to be like more just warm it's weather be a this great week.
2: week. Yes, 60s. What a,
1: what a perfect time to put out the rest of my Christmas decorations. <laughs> uh, our
2: fa- I haven't told you this <gasps> yet. Today, our family got in a conversation. Emily is all about. Us doing the Christmas, and she's right. Like it needs to happen when Madeline's home.
1: Ah, yes.
2: But she was like, "Hey, can we do it when Madeline's home?" I'm like, "We can do it when Madeline comes home for Christmas break,
1: (laughs) not for Thanksgiving." I'm gonna
2: lose that one. Yeah, no, it'll happen at Thanksgiving. You think think. so?
1: It's gonna happen. That's reasonable. No, it's
2: that's actually Carrie reminded me when we've done it in the past. Yeah,
1: that's a reasonable time. Our kids once again last night were just begging us, please wait until. After Thanksgiving, please wait until after Thanksgiving. But I thought yours is up. It is. Well, oh. the tree's up, but it's not decorated. Oh. And so we're like, guys, it's sorry. It's a sunk. It's, it's a sunk cost at this point. You yep. just you just have to remember what family you're in. It's happening. All right. So we're gonna debunk some presidential myths. Okay. If I were to ask you to tell me something you've heard, a myth about George
2: Washington. So I don't know if it's a myth or if it's true. Uh, but uh, you mentioned the tree before yeah, the, the cherry, cherry tree.
1: tree. I did find out cherry tree.
2: Right. Couldn't tell a lie or something. Yeah. Uh, he had all wooden teeth.
1: Okay. That is one of the things that he had wooden teeth. Are you ready to hear this?
2: You're going to, you're going to rip away I'm my childhood. That yard, that for aren't you? you. Okay. Some of
1: this is a little bit, a little bit disturbing. I'm just going to say, uh, apparently, most they <laughs> this is at interestingfacts.com. By the way, they say the most chewable fact about him is that he had a Boom. mouthful of wooden teeth. But um, bump. This is an odd story to be linked with the founding father. But we get to the quote root of the issue. But um, <laughs> I
2: had... need to work for this website. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so
1: brilliant. Dad jokes nonstop. So he did have terrible teeth. Had multiple dentures made. Those mouthpieces were made out of ivory. Okay. Out of gold. Okay. Out of lead. Oh. Here's the disturbing one: human teeth.
2: Slaves. There's, yeah, there's some there research
1: that says it's enslaved people's teeth. That's that's no bueno. That's that's not good. But apparently, wood was not used by dentists at the time because it could cause splinters, which could go into your gums. Makes sense. Doesn't yes. that make sense? Do you know a myth about Thomas Jefferson? I, I wouldn't have known this, so know I'm when, kind of putting uh, you on the spot no. here. Okay, tell me if you know about this. It's a myth that Thomas Jefferson signed the Constitution.
2: He Did he not?
1: He did not sign it. He missed out on it.
2: He was absent that day. He was playing yes. golf. Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah, he was busy playing golf. He was absent during the Philadelphia Constitutional Convention in 1787. He was across the Atlantic Ocean in Paris. Wow. Yeah, I know. Shocking, right? All right. Do you?
2: Although, in the movie, in the uh, play Hamilton, musical Hamilton, he's in Paris. You're right. He's in Paris. Look at that. Look at Lin Manuel
1: knowing his history better than us. All right. Do you know a myth about where Abraham Lincoln wrote, or upon what Abraham Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address?
2: Address. Uh
1: Address. Address? Address.
2: Uh I have no idea. Have I, I would have assumed it was just a piece of paper, well, a parchment, well, if you apparently will. Apparently,
1: people have thought for a long time he wrote it on an envelope. Really? Yes. But he did not haphazardly scribble it. That's a myth. He did not haphazardly scribble one of the most important speeches in American history on the back of an envelope during a train ride. Apparently that's what people say about him. Apparently he toiled away at several versions of it. He finally gave the final one on November nineteenth, eighteen sixty-three. Wait, that's one
2: hundred sixty years next week. Oh, did I do my math so right there? So wild! I think I
1: Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, this was not a solo speech. He collaborated with several speechwriters on it, and there are five original copies of the speech. Not one of them is on an envelope. Okay. Okay. Liars. This, <laughs> this is funny. I don't know if you've heard this one. Uh, have you heard that William Howard Taft got stuck in a bathtub?
2: I knew there was a president <laughs> that supposedly got stuck in a bathtub. I would not have known Taft. but
1: Okay, well, apparently this was, uh, you know, obviously somehow he got involved in this incident about getting stuck in a bathtub. It's true. He was larger in stature, 350 nice pounds, way to put it. <laughs> 350, y'all, 350. He never had to be rescued from a tub. That said, there's a reason he's associated with baths during his presidency, a supersized porcelain tub that was seven feet long, 41 inches and a ton in weight was installed in the White House. It was so massive that four grown men could fit inside in another bath incident. After his presidency, he filled a tub at a hotel in your town, Cape May, New Jersey. A little too high. And when he stepped into it, it overflowed to a point that the guests in the dining room below got a shower.
2: That's funny. Wow. Uh, you were mistaken when you say my hometown. I was just going with like my your home state. Th- yeah, that's what I meant. Kate May could not be further than from no one where I cares. Grew up in right. New Jersey. Nobody cares. That's Everyone like thinks Illinois New people. If we were same. like, oh, you know, your hometown, Springfield. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all New Jersey's all the same. All right. Oh, this one I thought was real. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. The teddy bear got its name after Theodore Roosevelt saved a real bear. I'd never heard that. Okay. I actually thought that was real. I have heard that. Teddy Roosevelt had long been a hunter, but he didn't actually show off his best skills on a bear hunt in November 1902. Everyone else in the group had a fruitful hunt. So to help Roosevelt, the guy tracked a 235-pound bear to a watering hole, clubbed it, and tied it to a tree so the president could claim it. As the story goes, Roosevelt (laughs) refused to to shoot the bear. The incident made its way to the Washington Post, which published a satirical cartoon about the president sparing the bear. New York City store owners Morris and Rose Mitchum saw the cartoon. They were inspired by the president's act of heroism. Created the stuffed animal in his honor, appropriately hmm. naming them Teddy's Bear, okay? The problem, Roosevelt didn't shoot the bear, but he didn't save it either. He saw that it had been mauled by dogs so savagely that he asked for the bear to be killed With a hunting knife. (laughs) Given the dark nature of this true tale, it makes sense why the details are often ignored when talking about his beloved childhood toy. That's funny. I have never heard that. I've always heard the story about the The teddy bear bear that he saved. But, okay. Do you know this? That uh, there's a myth that John F. Kennedy won the election because of the TV debates against Richard Nixon?
2: That is like the... Most people think, like, if they had been on radio, that Nixon would have won, won. right? Right, right, right.
1: Okay, so the televised broadcast of a 1960 presidential debate between JFK and Richard Nixon is often said to have clinched the victory for JFK because he was more photogenic, charismatic, etc.
2: And didn't Nixon like sweat a lot?
1: Yes, I think so. And he wasn't probably as cute as JFK, but. Uh, Kennedy did have a slight boost after the first time he was on air in September 26, but then Nixon hit it out of the park in others, especially with his foreign policy take in the mm. final time that they were on, air, on the TV show together. Kennedy won the election by a mere 119,000 uh, votes. Kennedy and Nixon's September 1960 debate is often credited as the first televised presidential debate, but that is also a myth. In 1956, a televised debate aired between President Dwight Eisenhower and Democrat Adlai Stevenson. Mm -hmm. However, neither of them attended and sent surrogates in their place. So apparently he was good on air, but that wasn't what caused him his victory. All right. right, You ready for this last one? I'm ready. This guy is apparently in our family tree. I don't know if this is true, but I've seen our family tree and his name is there. Zachary Taylor.
2: Wow. There's a myth
1: that he was president. Poisoned poisoned. What did I he say? Was <laughs> he was president. There's a I'm like, if that is a
2: myth, <laughs> Wow, then. he
1: was never the president. No, he, there was a myth that he was poisoned. Just a year and four months into his term, the 12th president, Zachary Taylor, fell ill and died while in office. For years, many thought he might have been the first president to be assassinated since it was rumored that he was poisoned. Despite his death in July 1851, it wasn't until 1991, the Kentucky scientists definitively cl- definitively concluded there was no arsenic in his blood. Mm. There was another story that he died after eating cherries in iced milk. That's a weird one. No truth to that either. After leaving the Washington Monument dedication in 1850, he apparently had that combo as a snack, cherries in iced milk. Likely came down with severe gastrointendinitis, gastroenterinitis, an inflammation of the digestive system dying five days later. So maybe he did sort of die of that?
2: Do you want to know the craziest Zachary Taylor story? Yeah. I, ju- I just looked it up because I read this the other day. So weird. Zachary Taylor died in 1904. Okay. Right? He was born in 1830. Okay. He had a grandson die in 2020.
1: No way!
2: Yeah, the grandson was born when his How? father was seventy-five. lived to be ninety-five. Like it's, you start what? To do the math. So he died in he was when he was alive. Jonathan Taylor. Uh. Uh-uh. uh I'm sorry, Zachary Taylor. Yes. Uh, was alive. And then his grandson. It's crazy.
1: Okay, that is so wild. All right. Well, those are some fun presidential. Zachary Taylor died
2: in 1850. I got to do the math here. It's crazy.
1: Anyway, whatever you're saying, it is a crazy story. And we have just debunked some presidential myths. And with that, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.